Hey guys, welcome to uh, the Ringside Podcast, the first ever episode. Joining me today is none other than Greg Jackson. The guy needs no introduction, obviously. Greg, it's a pleasure to have you. And we got Chrysia here, you know, the rock star oh, for... Oh, <laughs> I'm going to try out a sultry voice and see if it works for me. <laughs> I think it works. It's already it working. Works, it's it? already <laughs> working. You're great. Um, yeah, we're, uh, you know, so happy to have you, Greg. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. It's awesome to be here. I, I, uh, I love Miami. I love this club. And uh, all you guys are amazing. So, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And like you came, you came, uh, what, yesterday? And, yeah. uh, you know, it's been it's been awesome for you to come check out the Tap Out studio and, you know, teach us the program. It's been it's been it's been amazing. Yeah. I'm very lucky that uh, that we were able to uh, connect and put it together. And I really like making new friends and. I've got three great new friends right to my left, so it's been a good thing. Yeah, and we got obviously Fahad who's behind the screen, um, you know, making everything happen. So just a shout out to Fahad as well for for making this thing happen. I have to lean into my mic because I got like a replacement mic. (laughs) I think it's the best looking mic on the table. This looks like old and that looks like classy. Well, it's the girly mic. That's classy. I like it. Okay. Well, you want to switch? Sure. (laughs) I'm not very classy. I probably don't deserve it. Oh, I have to lean into it? Oh, see, I told you. Yeah. Is it all good now? Perfect, yeah. So yeah, Greg, let's let's dive a little bit into, you know, how you started. Obviously, we've got a lot of fans watching in Pakistan who are, you know, been talking to me about you come in here, oh, and uh, you know it's it's. We would love for you to come to Pakistan someday. Oh, I'd be honored. An incredible honor. So the other way around, I would be honored. I can't wait to get there, especially and see your mountains. They're amazing. Yeah, yeah, and you love hiking, right? So I do, I do, I love it. So there's uh, the Himalayas. Oh, and, I know. You know. We've got all of that. So you know, I watch all the documentaries on them and watch the the mountaineers going up. I'm like, wow, that's so cool. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And you're from New Mexico. You grew I did up from Albuquerque. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I got started very early on in the martial arts. Um, I was very. Uh, uh, I grew up in a uh, in the South Valley of Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is a very economically challenged place, um, and so uh, uh, that comes with its own set of the best. Some of the best people in the world live there. I don't want to paint it like it's all kind of a challenging place. I'm, some of my dear friends still live there, um, but yeah, it's because it, it comes with some poverty. That also comes with its own problems and. Uh, uh, it has a very machismo culture, a very Hispanic machismo culture there. Um, and so I got into the martial arts because I wanted to de- learn to defend myself, basically. Um, I was a white kid in a very Hispanic culture, and so a lot of the kids I grew up with didn't really care if they spent the night in juvie or, you know what I mean? Like it was still, they were going to get more meals there than they were at home. Um, you know, maybe they wouldn't get, uh, their dad wouldn't come home drunk and beat him. You know what I mean? It, it, it was one of those places where the kids only cared about fighting. So could you fight? They didn't care about soccer. They didn't care about if you were an athlete. They really only cared about that. So I figured, well, I better learn how to do that because it seems to be important. Um, and that's what started me on kind of the martial art journey. Uh, I was, 17 when I opened up my first school in 1992. Um, basically, my friends and I would, would train kind of on our own and, you know, we'd get into trouble and train and get into trouble. Um, and so other ones of my friends were like, hey, how are you doing those things in fights that you're doing? And so uh, I started opening up my, my own school to kind of teach, basically just teaching my friends at that point. Um, and then more people would come. Uh, then MMA came out in like 95-ish, I want to say, maybe it was 94. I can't remember. 
And uh, at that point, uh, a lot of my students were like, hey, let's go do these competitions because at those time it was kind of the wild west of MMA. There was no regulatory stuff. It was everywhere you go had different rules. So you'd have to learn the rules either. That's the kind of the origin of the rules meetings that they have now, if you're familiar with MMA, like why they have those is because everywhere you went, it was open hands to the to the face, but closed fist to the body, or it was closed fist everywhere. Or it was neat. like everybody had all these different rules: um, what you could wear, what you couldn't do. Uh, so we kind of came up in that environment, and then doing a lot of jujitsu tournaments as well, um, which is where I met the Tap Out crew uh, very early on, doing a lot of the jujitsu tournaments in Las Vegas, and we were lucky enough to win a lot of those. Um, and so they kind of took notice of us, and uh, and uh, that was my beginning connection with Tap Out was was getting to know. Um, all those guys, amazing individuals. Uh, Mask, of course, passed, but um, formerly known as, as Punk Ass and Scrape, the other two personalities there uh, are still alive and well. Um, but anyway, so I, I never wanted to be a, a big fighter or a, even a coach. They talked me into the whole thing. Mm -hmm. 30 years later, here I am sitting with you wonderful people. <laughs> so um, I, I've been really lucky. I was, I was lucky to get in early, and uh, I've been really lucky to um, to just meet so many great and amazing individuals from one side of this planet to the other. It's still unbelievable to me that I get to do this. Like, here I am at 46 years old and, and it still hasn't set in yet. So I'm waiting to make this regular, but not quite yet. So when you grew up, uh, when you grew up in, uh, in New Mexico, was there a lot of diversity where you met a lot of different cultures? Yeah, yeah, there was. Um, the, the great thing is that, uh, the great thing is that New Mexico is, uh, it's very unique culturally. It's also unique in that there's other places where it's not as integrated. So if you go to Arizona or Texas, there's a lot more, um, segregation's a strong word, but you, know, you have Hispanic neighborhoods, you have, it's a lot of times cut off by ethnicities. In, in New Mexico, it's, it's kind of all over the place. So you, you, get, you do get a, a lot of cultures. There's a very strong Native American because of all the Pueblos um, and the, uh, the Navajo are there. And uh, uh, in, way down south, you have the Apache. And well, they're kind of all over the place too. Um, in Rio Doso, but also up, up north as well. So you get a lot of different Native American uh, kind of contributions to the culture, Hispanic, Anglo. Um, yeah. We don't have a ton of international. It's not like Miami where everybody, you know, is from. But uh, we do have a deep culture. Like all of those interactions since the 1500s when the Spaniards first came, the interaction between the Europeans and the and the Native Americans, the Anglo's as they came across, um, has really made a unique kind of culture. And there's very few places where you can, because the the population density is so low, that you can see a snapshot of those times. For instance. Um, a lot of the uh, the Pueblo Native Americans have these things called kivas, which were kind of their their version of churches, and they also did businesses there. And there's almost like a pit house kind of a thing. And there's these places in New Mexico where right next to them are these giant Spanish churches, the the Salinas monuments. And so you get a snapshot of those two cultures living side by side, where there's a kiva here, and from there all about right around the year 1600, a kiva with the Native Americans and a church right next to each other. It's very rare that existing 400 years later as it does that you see a snapshot of that kind of cultural be beginning. So it's really, New Mexico is a beautiful place in that it really gives you a, a unique culture there, um, which I really enjoy.
Yeah, no, absolutely. Sounds like it. Um, and also, like from from a psychological perspective, obviously growing around so much diversity, it must have you know, especially in your career where you had to interact with so many different fighters from so many different backgrounds, it must have given you some sort of edge in regards to you know maybe preparing their psychology um, before a fight or maybe just training them on a regular basis. I think so. The the unique opportunities that that and that that allowed me to. Uh kind of partake in, um, help my own psychology as I went through kind of the trials and tribulations of what I went through. And that allowed me then to pass that on to my fighters, right? So I know the pressures and the, the worry and um, uh, kind of playing that, that game of fighting a bunch and then taking those lessons and trying to give it to my guys, which is, I mean, that's what I do, right? I'm a teacher. So um, it gave me a lot of good opportunities to kind of pass on what you psychologically go through and kind of the extremes of, of combat. Now, obviously it was, you know, not, a, not always a one-on-one -on -one situation. There was often weapons involved. Um, yeah, but always the psychology is still the same. Yeah, no, I can imagine. Um, I think like the mental aspect of the, you know, of the art in itself is, it's so uniquely uh, cathartic because, you know, you're sort of having that release um, and, you know, it's about channeling that aggression, which conversation we had earlier as well, um, and ch channeling it in a positive way. And that's the real key, I think, is channeling in a positive way. If you're really a part of just kind of bro culture without anything that is um, guiding that or pushing that into something that's a little more positive where it's just like guys being like testosterone. I think that's what people, oh, it's toxic masculinity and, you know, all of these things because they see that side of it. But a real warrior culture, a real warrior culture should be taking care of people, being kind, being polite. I mean, one of the big things when you read real samurai literature is it's always manners. A samurai is not admired for their combat ability. They don't have to talk about that. They are, they're admired for their manners. Like they are calm and civil and it's just business when they take care of business. Um, and so that kind of, um, that kind of mentality to me is a positive uh, kind of warrior mentality and you have a lot of I mean who but who's gonna teach that right like if you got a bunch of bros in a gym lifting weights screaming you know oh I'm lifting more than you do like you know what I mean like that's just and then you know oh, let me tell you about the women last night and all that. you know what I mean like okay like cool but there's no channeling to kind of positivity and so warrior culture gets a really negative kind of a negative uh, spin on it because it's not for me a positive warrior culture same thing with hyper gun culture where dudes have 47 guns in their house they you know what i mean they can tell you all these you know what i mean all these specs and it, that's just a tool that's for a time and a place and you should know how to use it you should know how it, it works um you should respect it it's an incredibly dangerous tool but unless you're a collector and i have very good friends that are gun collectors and you enjoy that part of it you're not going to need 47 guns to defend yourself like you just won't. If you do, something has gone very wrong in your decision-making ability. Um, but again, putting that, putting that um, kind of that, it, it runs out of control. So I get a lot of the, tax, the toxic masculinity stuff. It really does. It runs out of control. It gets negative um, where people are over, they go over the line, right? But again, what do they value, right? Like. I really think you need warrior culture for males, specifically with high testosterone, 
because we're a pain in the butt to deal with, right? Like we really are. So if you don't have some kind of guiding principle for these guys, they just get wild out of control. Um, and I'm talking culturally, of course. Uh, it's nice to have, that's where martial arts themselves, not MMA, because MMA is entertainment and it's all, you know, it's like, it's professional wrestling in that it's like a, a soap opera, right? This guy, did you see what he said about that guy? Like, and that's fine, like that's entertainment. But for actual martial arts, that's where, that's its biggest contribution, um, I think, is that it should give you some kind of a warrior culture wherein you're held accountable, maybe not to, uh, um, you know, a certain person or something, but just to the culture itself. I have a question. Is that something that you teach or is that something that sets aside the person that you train? So for MMA, I don't usually teach that because again, that's the entertainment business. Okay. It's a much different business to me. In, in MMA, you have some people that are both martial artists and fighters. You have some people that are just fighters. And you have, well, you don't really, you have to, in order to do it, you have to perform. It's because it's a performance art, right? Like you're getting in front of people and you're performing. And so that helps people out, right? Like people enjoy watching it. It's entertainment. It's, uh, some people love the, the artistic aspect of the fight itself. But most people watch it for some kind of drama, right? Like they, they enjoy the, again, like the same reason you watch television. Like if television was just nothing but everybody being respectful and bowing to each other, you'd be like, yeah. this is great for 15 minutes, yeah. but I am bored beyond belief. And fighting is the same way, right? If everybody in fighting was like, hey man, hey man, you're doing good, I'm doing great. You'd be like, wow, this is an exciting <laughs> sport that I am totally into, right? Like you, everybody talks about, oh man, did you see, you know, the Conor animal. McGregor. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that right, actually yeah. happen often? In MMA? Yeah. No, not often, but it'll stop, a, it'll stop a fight like this if it does. They have a rule now where you can't reach your fingers out this way. You have to keep them up like this because it happened enough where people kept running into I'm fingers. I'm you, it sounds very violent. <laughs> not as much as, you know, getting your face broken or something. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's all relative, right? Like, and that's the thing is, like, uh, so that's the difference in culture. Like, martial, when I teach martial arts, that's what I teach. MMA is a sport that involves martial arts, but it's not. And if it did, like if everybody was vanilla and nobody entertained each other, it wouldn't be as popular as it is. So, I mean, there's, there's trade-offs. Um, and some of my friends have gotten out of MMA. Some of my dear friends have gotten out of MMA because they don't like mm -hmm. the culture. They think it's disrespectful to the martial arts itself. And you can see their point of view. It's not that I disagree. Yeah, I think like the, the narrative that's been put out um, in regards to martial arts in I don't know, maybe it's in the US, I don't know if it's internationally, but you know, obviously like from a nobility perspective, which you talked about earlier, being noble, having those morals, um, you know, to to carry on your art in, in a respectful manner. I think that's very important. And I think from a entertainment and marketing perspective, we're seeing like, you know, obviously the more sort of um, fighting and action that people can see, they get more glued to their TVs. So I think that's sort of the narrative that's being pushed a little sure. bit, right? Um, sure. So yeah, I do, I do think that um, martial arts in itself is having a reputation that maybe is not doing it, it justice in, in that regard. Would you say that that's like a fair statement? Yeah, but again, it's like, what do you want out of your sport, right? Like, so um, fighting is such a, an emotional thing for people, right? It's not, nobody, so your relationship with violence for most people, and I know everybody's been there and done that, bro, but for most people, their relationship through any kind of violence, other than maybe one or two incidences in their lives, or if they've had, they might've had a violent trauma, you know, traumatic childhood, 
but most of their violence relationship comes from what they watch. So if you're watching uh, you know, Jason Bourne movies or Quentin Tarantino or whatever your flavor of violence is, that's what your relationship is. Um, or what you watch in MMA, right? That's your relationship with violence is not what you experience personally, but what you, what you perceive. So what do you want out of that, right? Do you want, what do you want your culture to say? Um, and so a lot of it is, like I'm never impressed with violence in movies. Listen, I love like, if it's a, like the superhero movies or something, yeah. I, you know, it's fun for me to watch it. I, I have suspension of disbelief. I don't care if, oh, it wasn't realistic. You know, they, didn't, they cleared the room left instead of right and nobody, like I don't care. Like it's movies, like whatever. Um, like nothing apart, like if that's a real problem you have with the, with the movie, then you don't really even know what realism is. Um, so I, it doesn't matter to me like that stuff. But I, I'll tell you this, a Quentin Tarantino is a genius. Oh yeah. But I've never cried at one of his movies ever. So for me, even though he's a master of like over the top violence and dialogue, I've never cared about one of his characters getting killed. Not one time. Like he doesn't have the ability to make me care about the repercussions of violence. And that's what I look at. Like, can you, can you translate, can your culture or your translate, okay, well, here's what violence does to you and it, this is how it makes you feel. And so I always think that that's a, when I see a master of their craft of showing what you guys view as violence, that's what a guy like me looks for. I'm like, do I have a lump in my throat when that person died because of the violence that they were involved in? Because to me, that's what it really is. Like when I grew up, everybody that was involved in violence dying that were my friends devastated me, Dev every one of them. And I never got used to it. And it was the finality of death. Like I will never talk to my friend again. No matter what I do, no matter how much I beg or bargain, I will never see that person alive again. And that, as a result of the violence, always really, really got to me. And, but I don't see that in movies. I don't see, because again, there's no relationship there with the actuality of it, right? You're just visually watching it. Now, if you're a soldier and you have to deal with that violence, then you know what that, that pain is. But that's war, right? That's, there's that, uh, that, as long as, that's part of the plan. Like you're, if you're a soldier over there and you know the risks, right? I mean, it's, they're so incredibly brave. They're just unbelievable people um, that, are, that are doing that for our country, but that's a cause, right? They're fighting for us. They're fighting for the safety of my two children. Like that is to me the height of nobility. So that violence is for something bigger and better than themselves. So that part I also like when, when and movies actually, I think translate that pretty well, but the re, and they do that repercussions of it in war better, but outside of that, I don't see it much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, especially when, uh, in regards to Tarantino movies, um, I'm not sure if you're a fan, but, you know, I do enjoy, like, the fantasy element of it because, you know, it's very over-the-top, um, just, you know, raw, like, violence in many ways. Um, it's good for entertainment value, but I do agree that I don't feel that sentimental connection with, uh, with the characters that are involved. Which is weird because he's like, when you read what he writes, that dude's a genius. Yeah. Like I read his, he, read, he wrote a thing on the difference between gangster rap and outlaw country, wherein outlaw country comes from a place of regret and gangster rap not so, but that I thought was brilliant. So it's not like he doesn't understand yeah. the repercussions of violence or where they come from. And I don't know if he just has a style or chooses not to invest 
in the time to make you care about a character so much and then show the negative repercussions of this over-the-top violence, which would be impressive to me, because really like squibs flying out of people and, oh, you see him blow his head off accidentally, like to me is I get kind of bored, honestly. His dialogue's brilliant, but I get kind of bored. I'm like, oh yeah, there's another extremely violent scene. Like it's just, that's kind of, everybody does that. It would be interesting to see him really do a movie about violence. Not about violence, because his movies are about like a, I guess an homage to the caricature yeah, of violence, yeah. but he does that every time, right? Like yeah. it would be nice to see a, him do an actual movie about violence. That would be cool. Uh, this just reminded me of the movie of The Joker. Like violence to me is always like correlated to mental health. And like the most violent movie I've seen in the past five years was The Joker. Right, and I thought what a masterpiece that was. I thought it was great because you really started to care Oh and then you're on this you roller coaster him. with him. Yeah, yeah. But those movies, like, where you actually start to care about people that are, you can see their side of it from mentally ill, or even people that, like, I always thought uh, there's a, gr a great old Stanley Kubrick movie called A Clockwork Orange, mm -hmm. where you found that character less interesting when they took the violence out of him, and you almost liked him more when yeah. he was, like, if you would really admit to yourself, and that inside of yourself is something you have to question, like, wow. The, here's a character that was super ultra-violent, disgusting individual, raping people and stuff, and then, I mean, obviously it's about a lot more than that, yeah, like, yeah. but, uh, like, that, you almost cared about him, like, you cared what happened to him, and that was super interesting to me. It plays at your heartstrings, because all those characters are there, they're mentally damaged, they're, yeah. that's, like, the main issue, that was the saddest, oh my god, that just, like, all this talk brought that back to me. Right. I mean, what, yeah, because you can see it's not just he flips a switch, right? He's, he's asking for help, right? His therapist won't give him the drugs anymore because the government has cut off that program. You know what I mean? You can see him just go down that spiral of everybody treating him badly um, to the point where he snaps. Yeah, it's a brilliant movie. What a brilliant movie. But that's the repercussions of violence, I felt. Even though it kind of celebrated him at the end a little bit, yeah. um, that at least got closer to it, I thought. I think like a lot of it also translates into um, you know childhood trauma. Um, a lot of the you know obviously like martial arts in itself like um, has helped so many kids you know stay away from you know drugs or finding other outlets that you know would be so harmful in their you know social lives and their personal lives and and just having that. So you've obviously trained so many great fighters in your career and um, you know. There's, there's so many people out there right now, kids out there who, you know, aspire to be, you know, in, in the world of, you know, uh, UFC or whatever it might be, but it's the opportunity, like, of just getting out there and, and you know, translating their, their dreams into reality. It's, I think it's a challenge right now for... It is. So I think that you got to unpack that a little bit, which I think is a very good point of yours. Um, first of all, yes, martial arts do, does give that wild focus energy, right? The problem with martial arts, especially in the 80s, is that it was starting to get run by a bunch of people that hadn't earned, like they used it as a place to hit on women. They used it as a place to like brag about how tough they were, even though they weren't that tough. And it became a tool of getting respect without having to prove it. And that really turned a lot of people off, uh, as also the like the techniques not be as effective as being as effective as they would have liked to be. So you have to be very careful now when you teach martial arts, and we've all made mistakes doing it. But uh, like you have to be to be a leader. What I've learned over the years of making terrible mistakes is that uh, to be a leader, you have to be 
if you're going to be a martial artist and a leader, you have to be almost spotless. Like, you know what I mean? Like you have to be, everyone's watching you with a fine tooth comb. Everybody's waiting for you to make terrible mistakes because they don't want, they, they want you to fail the test so they won't believe in you. Um, and so that, I, that's a very important thing as a leader and it's a heavy responsibility and it should suck. Like being the leader should be the worst job you have if you're doing it right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I think that that gives kids, if you're that person, if you're ready for it, and I'm not saying people like I am, but if you're ready to be a real martial arts instructor and guide people and kids watch you put up with moral tests and pass them, then they'll be much more likely to put up with moral pass, tests and pass them. But if they see you fail, then they're more likely to go, oh, he likes women and boozing it up, and you know what I mean, like whatever it is. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's hard for a human being, especially for a fighter um, or, or a warrior. So that, that's where this, the other side of the martial arts comes in. And then as for opportunities and stuff, yeah, I mean, so much of it is where you're born and what you're exposed to, right? Like if you're in a country that doesn't have strong MMA, but they might have great Kung Fu or whatever, or you know, whatever you're around, I mean, a lot of it's an accident of birth. What a lot of countries are doing now, though, is really bringing MMA to their culture and the people so that they're going to get better access to it. Um, because it shouldn't be, MMA should be for everybody. It's a sport. You're a human being. Everybody deserves a chance. So it, it shouldn't be an accident of where you're born. And that's where it is now. Or you're lucky because of your family connections or you make it to a place that has it. But I, I'm really excited about seeing a lot of countries really pulling in MMA into their culture, into their thing, so that all these kids can have a chance to participate in that sport. It'd be like you couldn't play soccer unless you were born in four countries. You know what I mean? Like if you're not Brazilian or American or Japanese or you know whatever it is, like uh, Italian. Italian. Yeah, yeah. Like so, it'd be. It's really neat to see all these the world really embracing the sport and. Uh, and really uh, getting the opportunity. These kids can then get the opportunity to make a living, hopefully a living, in a, in a way that uh, suits them. Yeah, of course, and you're very passionate about, about that mission, you know, um, with your work in Morocco as well. Yeah, we're doing a school right now in Morocco, uh, yeah, for youth that, that will get a high school diploma and also learn Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Muay Thai and wrestling and sports uh, nutrition and strength and conditioning. They'll get certified in all this stuff so they have these individual skills and then if they want to compete in MMA, they can do that too. Um, so yeah, we're, we're doing that school in Morocco right now and it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a super challenging project, which is great. Um, but just knowing that that school will exist, hopefully if we do it right long after I'm dead and these kids will just keep coming through and getting these opportunities, I mean, yeah, why wouldn't you try to do that? Yeah, it's like a purpose bigger than life in many ways, right? Right, right, it really is. And it's just something, like for me, MMA doesn't have a lot of social value, right? Like, it's cool for entertainment, you know, uh, but like, it, I don't think, and I'm sure people would argue this, I think the martial arts side of it changes the world, but the actual entertainment side of it, to me, isn't, it doesn't hold that much important. So when I get to do socially conscious projects, that really helps me out a lot, like just psychologically. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. Um, you know, when I obviously first started um, opening, you know, uh, a fitness facility, I never, I never thought that I would, you know, ever do that. Yeah. But, you know, I just, just seeing, you know, uh, making a difference in another person's life, it's, I think, so much bigger than yourself. Like the mission is so much bigger than, than yourself. And I think, you know, obviously that translates obviously in your world where, you know, you've um, it must be such a great feeling for you when you know you see your fighters, um, you know, winning their fights and and reaching the pinnacle of the sport. It really is a big deal, and I really enjoy the um, that side of it. The process is the part I own, right? Up until they get their hand raised and they're victorious, that's the part that's for me. And then the victory is all for them. They're the ones out there taking the risk, doing their thing. 
and then I just want to do it again. And I'm like, that's great. I'm so happy for you. When are we doing this again, right? You know what I mean? I love it so much. I love the process so much. Um, and it, the same thing with this school, I think. Um, I just, I love the process, but I think the difference will be afterwards. I'll feel like I, like I help that fighter out, and I think that's wonderful. But hopefully this way will help out. I mean, how many hundreds and hundreds of kids? So um, it's a bigger deal. And for me, not that I'm saying my fighters aren't important, but something of social value like that in a place that um, is willing to take that risk, I think is wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, it's been like, from like an exemplary point of view, right? Like you said, it just it just sort of becomes like a cycle where like, you know, you're setting an example and then your fighters are setting an example for the viewers who are, you know, following them and then those people are inspired and then they're, you know, so it just becomes a circle of life in many ways. But you know what, I think that's on a grand scale. I actually think what you what you guys do here at this uh, tap out facility here in, in Miami, you get such an immediate, so you get, you know, 20 people, 40 people, whatever, per class. And those people come out and I don't know how you guys have already had a bunch of it. Hey, thank you. I've lost this weight. I feel much better. You know what I mean? Like it's such an immediate feedback when you're doing a fitness facility that really cares about people like you guys do. It's such a, um, I mean, obviously you've got to make money to pay your bills, but um, I think that's important too. I think that every person that maybe not a professional fighter that has access to some of what the martial arts can give them, right? Doing these fitness classes and stuff. Um, is such a pot you just feel so much better about yourself it's such a positive thing that i i feel like this almost has more social relevance than anything i do even though the scale is bigger because more people see it it definitely does i mean it is immediate but i think it's all in the grand scale of things we're all helping people for me aside from having 20 people walk in here and walk out and being like this was amazing like the whole part of like taking care of my team and building a team that actually cares about the people that walk into every class is just like, that's kind of life changing for me, watching my team grow. Like it's been such an honor to watch these kids like turn into what they are. Like day one, it was like, we were all just trying to figure it out and now everybody's like a pro at everything. And that's so cool. That's so rewarding, selfishly rewarding. <laughs> that's not selfishly rewarding. It's nice to do a good job. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's really something to be proud of, especially yeah. in, in the times of, you know, COVID-19 and like, you know, how it's affected so many people and, uh, you know, just for the people to have a choice to look, you know, after themselves um, and making a difference, especially during this time. I think it's it's amazing what you've done. And you see, like our team, we talk about mental health all day long. Like, mm -hmm. it's like we're super open and honest with each other. You can tell because we're just small and we're a very tight team, so you can tell when something's wrong. So right. like there's an open door policy here, like come and talk to me about anything. And everybody here has gone through something at some point here, but like we talk about it every day and it's like something that's super open and we all talk about it together. We even talk about it with you. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome because, yeah. you know, just, just seeing that like what's behind the scenes, because like, you know, obviously when a person looks at a business, right, they're seeing, you know, like, okay, you know, whatever numbers and things like that. But I think it goes so much deeper than that, where like, you know, each person um, obviously is, has their own like personality and like to embrace that and bring out that creative element. Um, I think, you know, obviously in all of our craft, you know, we, whether it be Tapa, whether it be, you know, your, uh, your academy, um, I think we're all trying to do that um, at some, some level at least, you know, to bring out the best out of everybody else. 
it's it's nice to have that and that I think is what I was kind of touching on earlier is that positive warrior culture right where you're honest with people and you're talking things through and you're not afraid and you're not hiding things and you know what I mean like that that to me is a is a real warrior culture a warrior culture where you just stuff things down and you don't discuss it and stuff to me isn't uh isn't a positive one. Why do you think that is? Like, why is it difficult for people to be vulnerable? Well, it's guarding, right? So if you're vulnerable, you're also, it takes courage to do that because probably earlier, so there's things culturally, you have to remember that it wasn't always as easy as it is now. So if you're, let's say you're Russian on the on the Eastern Front and, and okay, let's say you're in World War II or whatever, like you can't talk about your how hungry you are, the entire city is starving, right? You just gotta be stoic. Like that's the time and the place where talking about your feelings isn't the appropriate response, right? So you have these major, you know, kind of events that shape your culture, and then you are a product of that, you know, two, three, four generations later. But that's what they came home. The older people acted like that because that's what they went through. You emulate them, and you get into the cycle again. I think where we don't talk about that stuff. We just push that stuff down because we're complaining because it's, you know what I mean? Like life is tough and you just got to suck it up and keep going. And I think that does damage. I think that, that just because it's been done that way in the past doesn't mean it needs to be done that way now. And I actually like the courage that you guys have where you're open. I think it takes courage to be open, vulnerable, talk about it, but then move on, right? Like if you just, if you're that way every day, at some point, you've got to figure out a way to suck it up. I'm not just saying, oh, suck it up, and you know what I mean? Like, I'm depressed, suck it up. That's not a realistic yeah. option, right? That's not how things work. But you've got to find a way. You've okay. got to find a way. If it's uh, therapy, if it's uh, drugs, whatever, not drug drugs, but you know what I mean? Like, uh, and that would be low on my list, but it works. You know what I mean? Like, whatever yeah. works, make yourself happy. And if so be willing to fight, right? Be willing to do that. And you start that by, like you're saying, your team, whoever your team is, right? Whoever your home team is. And if you don't have a team, you can find them. <laughs> Come to a place, you know what I mean? Like find it, but fight. Fight and don't let it, like that to me is more important than stuffing it down and being stoic and pushing it on and not addressing whatever mental issues you have. Because like you said, I mean, everyone's got something. And you, again, you don't. it's different when it's attention seeking and you're like, I'm, you know, whatever, and you're like, eh, like I'm doing this to get attention so everybody will pay attention to me, which in itself, I guess, is kind of a, of a mental thing, like, uh, but if you have real, like, especially depression problems and stuff, figure out something to get help. Like, go to therapy, hit a bag, whatever it is, I don't know what it is, and it might be 13 things don't work, but just keep fighting, because the 14th one will. Yeah. Again, I think, like, um, expression, I think it's, it's the biggest remedy from depression. You know, right. like right. whatever it can right. be, you know, um, for me, like personally, like I, I find solace in, in, in art and writing um, just ways where I can, you know, put myself out there um, and be openly vulnerable, which is something that, you know, is obviously very hard coming from like a culture um, back in Pakistan where it's like, you know, if you're like a guy, it's very hard, you know, to, to be open about your feelings and things like that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's great that people are paying more attention to, to you know, mental health and and the the complexities that surround it right now and the stigma that's around it and and just being open with it so it's it's definitely i think everybody's um step by step making a change it's such a brave new world i grew up in a household where we didn't talk about feelings like i was acting out i remember seeking attention when i was eight or nine years old i used to get into like my mom's purse and like pick her pocket so like somebody would pay attention to me because we wouldn't talk about feelings at all at home so at one point i just became really really angry 
and I just wanted to be sent to boarding school. Like that's all I wanted. So as soon as I, si I hit 16, I graduated high school. I was like, I'm bounced. And it took me so much therapy to get over my like anger. But anger was just like, I couldn't talk about anything. So like growing up and like now I talk about everything. And my parents, they jumped on board because I got divorced six years ago. So they had no choice but to like ask me how I was doing because I was dying, like in a bed crying for six months and like they had no choice and that changed my whole family dynamic. Like they called me, like they asked me how we're doing. Like those were questions I never grew up with. Like no, I, nobody ever asked me, how are you today? that didn't exist mm. and it's mind-blowing now because now like we talk about stuff my dad told me the other day on Easter he's like I miss you so much what like I send these screenshots to my therapist and I'm like the world has ended <laughs> well it's definitely changed for the better yeah. right yeah like I can only imagine like how it feels to hear those words and and you know it's it's definitely changing for the better I think that that's very important I think that people that stuff it down and uh, don't address their stuff, they pay later on in life. I remember growing up, the older people would either be, like, they pay for it later, Just they're just grumpy and miserable and angry all the time because they weren't in that environment where they could talk about it. Or when they're younger, like I'm, where I grew up was just amazingly tons of suicides because there's no way to get any of that out, right? They weren't in environments where they could even express it. So I, it's so dangerous that you just end up miserable at the half, back half of your life, just miserable, like you were saying. If you hadn't dealt with that anger, you would still have it. Only then I think it really compounds on itself as you get older and older. Um, and, and the person gets angry and angrier and angrier. And yeah, it's, it just seems like a, just something that culturally needs to change as we live in this time and this place. Yeah, and I think um, also like it leads to addiction, like a lot of addiction, like that suppression. Um, you know, whether it be like addiction to cigarettes or, you know, whatever the case might be, I think, you know, again, like it's, it's about choices, right? Like choosing if you can, you know, find that awareness within you to, you know, make a choice that, okay, you know, I'm going to smoke the cigarette or I'm going to go punch a bag, right? So it's like you said, you know, you got to find what works for you, but also be aware that, you know, are you, are you like killing yourself or are you helping yourself? You know, it's that distinction. Self-medication, yeah. For sure, self-medication. But that's why we need people like you to help kids. <laughs> yeah, no, there's much, there's people that are much better at it than I, I am. Believe no, me. No, but it's just it's so important, like teaching and taking care of kids and like showing kids the way is so important. I have. But to yeah, um, Greg, one thing that you know obviously fascinates me a lot was you know obviously seeing you know how you've diversified your you know scope of scope of work. Like obviously, like you have your academy, but then you also did you know production and in. in uh, in, in a Netflix show, I believe it was on Netflix, oh, yeah. and um, Kingdom, yeah, and, you know, I was very curious to learn more about, like, how did you, you know, get yourself into that, into that business? Well, that, I mean, that's all my friends, right, so basically, I can, you can kind of compartmentalize what I do, MMA, right, then I do programs like the Tap Out Martial Arts thing, which is basically a, a three-year self-defense program um, that we do here at uh, Tap Out Fitness across the country, well, across the world. Um, 
and then I do, uh, well, building a school is just kind of building the, the school and the academy in Morocco. Um, but I also work with a lot of police officers and special forces groups, and they have independent things like teaching police officers to be uh, work as teams and control people rather than trying to take a lot of the violence out and work on a lot more of the safe control using problem solving. Anyway, we'll get in. Holy cow, that'd be a whole podcast in itself. But, um, and then I have the entertainment side of it, which is where some friends of mine that I've made over the years working on movies and stuff will asked me, okay, well, this project involves MMA. Will you come, you know, help consult on the writing or help consult on you know, fight scenes or whatever it is? So uh, that's all just kind of sporadic. Like, they'll ask me, hey, we're going to do this project. Will you come in? And, and it's weird that the, the Hollywood world is kind of a small world and everybody knows everybody else in, in some ways. And so that group of people or anybody they know will then reach out to me to go help out. So um, it's a lot of fun just because it's so different. Um, I don't, as anybody who knows me, I don't like being on camera. I don't like doing anything. I don't want to be an actor. I like, I'm very, I don't like that attention on me. I, it's just something that I don't enjoy, um, which is, is fine. But I do enjoy being, you know, a part of the process and watching these amazing artists work. And uh, it's, it's really cool um, to watch great actors hit their mark and cry every time. Like, I mean, that, that level. I always make fun of it and say, oh, he pretends better than the other guy pretends. But it's impressive when you watch like the high level guys, man, you're like, holy cow, these guys and gals can, I mean, on the drop of a hat, you'd almost like never want to date them, right? They'd just <laughs> psychopathic. They'd just drop the drop of a hat. They could be lying to you and you could never tell. But uh, um, it, it is impressive to watch. And it is a lot of fun to be a part of. Yeah, and thanks for being on, on camera today. Because yeah, I don't like, <laughs> like yeah. being on camera. Well, I don't mind the interviews because it's not. I don't have to pretend to be something I'm not. You know what I mean? Like I don't like having attention and being like this character and uh, like the whole acting thing just doesn't. It doesn't sit well with me. I don't like it. I'd rather just be me. And the male modeling. Now the male modeling is dead serious, obviously, <laughs> by looking at my humongous ears and humongous nose. Listen, I saw you working for the camera. Today. Oh yeah, I was all about it. I was. Those uh, are those are mantle quality pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean the nice thing about so I am not. I don't think I'm like super ugly, but I'm certainly not good looking. And so my my self esteem had to come from my personality and trying to be the best person I could be. And I've always stumbled and failed on that, as as most of us have. Um, but. Uh, it allowed, it was a blessing because it allowed me to try to develop the rest of, like, really <laughs> good-looking people have it really easy in a lot of ways. Not everybody, but you know what I mean? Like, sometimes you don't have to develop as much. Like, I had to work for everything I had, right? Like, nobody came and was like, you know, here's this, here's that. So it, it was a blessing because it really allowed me to, uh, like, I had to get good at fighting. Like, girls, when I growing up, were like, I'm a skinny huero from the from the south. Like no one's interested in me. What are you but talking about? Just, Your blonde blue eyes. Yeah, what? Okay. Can I see yeah, a picture of you yeah. when you're 16? Yeah, years? yeah, like, yeah. No. Anyway, I need proof of this. <laughs> but my point is, is that fighting got me the respect, and the respect uh, girls would then. Oh, it might be, he might be. You know what I mean? More than just a skinny gringo. Um, and so that is that allowed me to get a skill that I parlayed into the rest of my life so like it was in some ways I always try to look at the positives about stuff and there's plenty of negatives in this world to, and you could it's easy to look at that stuff it takes some real mental discipline a lot of times to look at the positives so I try to look at the big the the uh, the positives of me having giant ears and a, and a floppy nose and I say I always say oh, I'm, a, I'm a male model like I'm a 
We're going to own it. Definite male model. Mantle pictures, people. Man, that's right. Check be, them out. They will be on his social media soon. They will be. I'm trying to get better at my Instagram, I promise. But also, you have a great singing, like, Grace. So <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about that. I heard I, you Dory me it out. <laughs> my mom used to say I had a great singing voice when I was a kid. My father actually sings um, with what was what is uh, basically the the symphony orchestra of New Mexico. He sings with the the chorus there, and my grandmother sung. And um, so we have a um, we have a, a very singing tradition. I grew up on opera. I grew up on classical music. I've been to a lot of rock concerts, rap or whatever, but I've been to 10,000 times more classical concerts. That's so, um, yeah, I was really raised on that music. So, uh, yeah, but it skipped right over me. My son has amazing, he writes his own music, writes piano and guitar and like I, and puts it on the computer. I'm like, holy cow, my son did that? That's amazing. Um, but it skipped right over me. Do you karaoke? No, no, I, Never? well, yeah, I mean, I have before, but I'm not. It's not something I enjoy. Again, I don't like getting up in front of people and being like, Lord, like, or, you know, singing whatever. There's a, there's a voice there. There's uh -huh. a voice there. There's definitely a voice, yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, that'll be my next career. After, after my male modeling career, then I'll, I'll jump on that. But in, it, uh, I love, love classical music. I love the patterns. I love the emotions. Um, I think it's amazing. I could listen to it all day. Well, like Beethoven and, and... Bach is my favorite because of what he does structurally. Um, Beethoven is my very, very close number two. Um, and then I really like uh, Mozart as well, although my, my brother and my father are not huge Mozart fans. I think he's too flowery, but uh, I, I disagree. I, I quite like him. Um, and just the... What they do in music is always amazing to try to follow and listen to. And um, yeah, so... And I learn... So to digress a little bit, when you're trying to learn about your martial art, there's things outside of the martial art that you have to pull in to learn more about it, right? The samurais used to say, if you know one way, like the way of being a samurai, if you know one way, then you should know all ways. In other words, the path that you take in, in the martial arts is very similar to the path that you take as an artist visual, as the path that you take as music. And there's this great guy, John Boyd, a uh, great strategist, who you say, um, you gotta pull. There's a great mathematician named Gerdell who basically showed that there are some truths within the system. He proved this logically that you cannot uh, reach within the system. So you have to kind of look outside of whatever system you're in, be it math, logic, whatever, that these unreachable truths. So if you can take something from music and pull it into, be it rhythm changes, be it, because fighting is just rhythm. Um, I always use hemiolas, interrupting techniques, uh, anything that they do structurally, like uh, mirror cannons, crab cannons, that you can take and apply that to the martial arts, then you really know you've got kind of an underlying truth to, or a, a pathway to that way because you see that way in music and in fighting. And when you make that correlation, it's very important. I agree with you. I think that's such a great point because, you know, that's something that I had been studying a little while ago. Um, you know, just a symp symphony and the orchestra of, you know, the, the musical piece and how it translates into, you know, real life, um, you know, whatever you might be doing and embracing the, the process rather than the end result, right? Like, we're not trying to get to the end of the song, we're trying to enjoy the process of the whole song and every symphony, whether it be, you know, like a low note or a high note and just embracing all of that. That's a great perspective on it, yeah, absolutely. That's a great perspective on it. Um, and that's what's fun, like seeing where other, I study, try to study all the other arts I can so that I can pull in information into, um, like there's that one, there's a famous samurai saying that uh, one way should not become two. 
and I don't know, like I've seen other samurais, like Musashi was definitely a great artist, mm -hmm. but that didn't really become two. It was still the one way, right? Like, and that's what they're talking about when he says that. So I don't know if I, if I agree with exactly how it's put, but I understand the sentiment behind it. And of course they would know more than I do, but yeah, that's my yeah. opinion. Yeah, and, and then if we dive like into, you know, obviously like the, the Chinese philosophy of Lao Tzu, he was like, you know, the way is not the way. So it's kind of like, you know, whatever way you're going at, it's like, is it really the way? So it's like kind of like, you know, always questioning. Yeah, so what I've found is that Eastern translation into Western, so we have a Western-baked logic system, right, where coming from the Greeks or whatever, and then Eastern philosophy has a very different tradition. And the translation there is sometimes, just because of the semantics and the way it's translated, doesn't carry... You have to really understand it from our Western point of view, at least as an American. This is me speaking as an American. Um, and what that means is, so let's say you take a, a phrase that doesn't make any sense like that. It literally doesn't make any sense where you go, um, you need to learn and forget. Well, what? Learn and forget? Well, if I learn it and forget it, then how do I know it, right? Like, so that's your logical progression, but that's not what they mean. What they mean is learn and forget. Like when you walk, you don't look at your next foot down on the floor and put that, and then you're like, okay, now no, there's that foot. Okay, now there's that foot, right? You learn to walk and then you forget you're doing it unless you trip over something or you hit your toe. So if you explain it in that methodology that it's intended, it actually means, makes total sense. Oh, I learned how to walk and then I forget I'm doing it. You never say I'm putting my foot in front of the other. You never say that unless you're really drunk or you stub your toe, right? Then when it becomes a problem again, you remember that you need to, to, to actually takes effort to do that. But you learned it and then you forgot it. So that makes perfect sense. So, but if you follow it, learn and forget, if you read it on the page without understanding the intention, and there's some great guys that, that there's some amazing people that have tried to take these Eastern philosophies and put that into context in, in our Western brains. Um, there's some great, you can look them up, there's some great translators that have actually tried to do that. Um, because I think that's important. Those ideas, that idea is profound. But if you, you'll miss the mark if you just guess at it, right? Like maybe they mean that, you know what I mean? It has to be a pretty solid, I mean, we're all guessing at it, I guess. But um, so that idea of translating, having a, a filter that has come from our culture, like we talked about and handed down as an American in a Western culture, dominated Western culture, there's plenty of different cultures here. Um, and then translating the Eastern ideas into that, that may, in a way that makes sense in our logical, because so much of Zen to me, especially those koans and stuff, and so much of Eastern philosophy is about redefining logic, trying to remove logic from your filter and experiencing the world without it, um, which is very hard for somebody that's been programmed in, for me anyway. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed either, so it also takes extra effort, but those things are so important for the martial arts because a lot of that, understanding that then gives you more insight into the way. So I think that's, that's very important. What you just hit on was very important. Yeah, and also like um, from like perspective on, on ego in itself, I think like there just different definitions of ego in itself, like in the Western world and in the, in the Eastern philosophy because then you're looking at... Um, Again, it might be like a translation issue, whatever it might be, because I do read in English, so it's kind of like, you know, what, what it might have meant in, in Chinese would have been totally different because they have so many different alphabets and so many different, you know, ways of expressing themselves. But, um, yeah, no, I totally agree with you on, uh, on, 
on just uh, getting the right message and you know applying that to your life so it's super that's why it's so important to get the right translation you just hit the nail on the head or the translation that makes you understand it like a book of five rings there's so many translations out there and but there's only one that i've ever read uh the overlook press version where it really i get oh i'm like oh that that works for my filter that's the one that works for me. So when I teach that book, I teach that out of that translation because other translations just don't, sometimes it's their own filter, like these karate guys who have never been in like two fights in their whole life. Oh, I was a bouncer bro, whatever the, the crap that they say is. Um, but they don't know, so they put their own filter on what they think it means. And then you're, you're walking through two filters. So I, I really enjoy that Overlook Press version of that, but, but I, you do run into that where like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, what is he talking about? So, and then some things I still don't know what he's talking about, and that's because I'm not mature enough in my strategy yet to understand it. I think you're very humble with everything, you know. Um, yeah. Well, when you are a male model, you have to be humble <laughs> to balance out your obvious good looks. No, absolutely. Like, I think, you know, obviously, like, we're getting such a deep insight into, you know, Greg Jackson as, as a human being, you know, obviously, like, your, your accomplishments and everything, like, that could maybe even just mask, you know, who you are as a human being. I think that is so important for the world to see as well, because, you know, obviously your accomplishments, um, you know, they, they deserve all the plaudits, but, you know, it's important to, to get to know the human being, I think. <laughs> I don't know how important it is, but I will say that I think my defining quality, if you know yourself, my defining, defining quality is curiosity. I'm endlessly curious. I'm endlessly trying to figure things out. Like the fun I find in life isn't performing. It isn't, uh, you know, dominating or anything. The fun that I find in life is just like figure, like, so my mom said that when I was a kid, like when I was born, I mean, I'm straight born now, I didn't cry and I was like, oh mom, is that because I was so tough? And she's like, no, you dork. No, it was because you were looking at the lights over as you were being gurneyed out and you were like this on the lights, just like fascinated by the lights, just walking one light after the other. And I really think that that's, if you were gonna define me, it's just an endless curiosity of like, what is going on? What did they mean by that? How did this work? What happened here? Um, I really enjoy that process of learning. Yeah. And so I'm just lucky that, uh, and always, so I, I don't do drugs recreationally, like I'll do them medicinally, like if my back is out and you give me an edible, I'll be like, oh yeah, I need to stop. This is, I can't walk right now, so I need some kind of pain relief. So I don't care about that stuff. But I feel like it, it, it distracts my curiosity too. And you know, there's a lot of people that do the Timothy Leary thing. Oh man, you'll be so much more curious if, man, I can barely deal with the reality that I have in front of me and trying to figure that out. Like, I don't want to introduce another layer to it because there's so much to, without that there, for me personally, there's just so much to explore and figure out and see. Um, so that, like that, that unfiltered curiosity to me is very important and, and I really enjoy it. Yeah, I think it's embracing the inner child within, right? Right, like, yeah. yeah. I am a big baby. <laughs> yeah, but I think like people have lost touch with that part of themselves, especially in their, like as they get older, like I think it's so important for people to, you know, embrace that inner child always, you know, and, and not lose sight of that curiosity in life because I think that's what keeps us going. Isn't that the real danger, though, is when you figure, I always say ignorance isn't dangerous by itself, right? If you just don't know and you say, I don't know, it's not a big deal. It's, when, it's the illusion of knowledge. Oh, I know how this works. Eh, no, you don't. You know what I mean? Like you think you, right, when you know how something works and you're wrong, that's where damage happens. You can see it on big scales and small scales. But yeah, that, uh, I think that's where damage happens. I agree with you 100%. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the nice thing about being um, 
super curious is it also allows you to be very self-reflective and so you can try to improve yourself all the time as well. So if you extend that curiosity into yourself, I think it, it helps you try to be a better person. And certainly, goodness gracious knows, I've, like I say, I failed on that one, but I think that's what makes me better now is that I can always say, okay, I used to have this thing like, could I kick my own ass last year? Like, am I a better fighter this year? And if I fought myself last year, you start getting into your late 30s, you're like, no, probably not. But that, you just take that extension and you say, am I better, a better person than I was last year or the year before? So I took that and moved it there to try to help me push forward because my personality is so um, erratic sometimes that I need some kind of discipline to be like, okay, I've got to push forward. Okay, I got to push, I want to, here's where I am now. Okay, I made all these mistakes. I'm going to try to not make those mistakes again. Oh, I did? I, I didn't even realize I did? Okay, I'm going to try to do that. So if, I feel like if I'm pushing forward, that curiosity can help me be a better person. Lord knows I need all the help I can get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think we're all on the same boat yeah. here with that. I love looking inside. It hurts, but it's yeah. so good. It does help out a lot. And um, especially when you're around people that, you know, you thought were positive people, but turned out, and that's happened to me several times, where you think, oh, this person's a positive person, and this is a great person, and then you put them up on this kind of Mount Everest with my friends and some of my ex-girlfriends, and so you put them up on this Mount Everest, and then you find out all these things, and they're like, oh my goodness, nobody told me all that stuff, and they fall hard. Um, Those are the times where you have to say, well, I own what I did in that as a friend or as a boyfriend or as a husband or whatever, and I need to then move on and be better. Um, and I think that's where that, that mentality really comes in to help people. At least it helps me that way. I think that's fantastic insight. I think that's fantastic insight. I, I, I've been, you know, obviously on, on a journey myself, you know, just reflecting on my choices and, and questioning, you know, whether I'm a better human being than last year. And I think, you know, obviously always, I think it never ends. Like just, just that the inner work, it never ends. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't. You think you've reached rock bottom inside, like you were done digging, and then, oh, something else pops up. That's a fact. That's a fact. But if you're always just committed to that progress, to try to move forward, at least to try, um, even if you don't get there or you make another terrible mistake, it's okay. Like, you give yourself some slack. All right, you know what? I messed up, but I'm going to keep trying. Then eventually, even your mess-ups are so much better than they used to be, right? Then you're not down here anymore. And even if people let you down and disappoint you and crush what you thought you had, you're still able to then rise above that. And, um, and those people can't stop that. Like if you're really committed to that relentless self-improvement, those people that try to drag you down, that have lied to you, that whatever, whatever trauma they've given to you in their past, they can't, if you have the dedication to that philosophy, then they can never, they can hold you down temporarily like an anchor on a rope, but eventually you just gotta make them let go and, and keep climbing and that, when I see people do that, I'm so inspired. I'm like, would you look at that? It, it was, it's like, um, people watch fighting for that. People watch fighting to be inspired. That's what I had to learn the hard way at MMA. I always watched MMA for an expression of the art that I was so passionate about. I, I learned that I don't see MMA the way most people see MMA. Most people love, a, they don't say a good fight is a guy sticking a jab and running, right? That's not, even though he did tactically what he needed to exactly win, so you could look at it from a tactical point of view and say that was a brilliant maneuver. He shut everything that guy did. That's not a good fight. A good fight is 
when you watched it to be inspired. When this guy almost gets knocked out, and then he comes back and almost knocks like Arturo Gatti and uh, Mickey Ward. Like the guy almost gets knocked out, and then he comes back. That's a fight that's exciting. And you get to see inside those people's soul the, the toughness, and that inspires you to be tough. And that's why people watch fighting is for the inspiration, right? That's a good fight. I was emotionally moved by how brave and strong they were. But you don't just need to watch fights to do that. You can do that yourself just by rising all, just trying to be better and watching other, your friends do the same thing. Like, you know what, I know she, he broke your heart, she broke your heart, whatever. I know that, that your parents weren't the way they should have been at all. But to watch you, somebody rise above that just incrementally and fight, it's the be most beautiful thing in the entire world. I think the fear, the fear in itself of, of, uh, of failure is what holds people back the most, right? It's like, you know, they don't want to put themselves in that position where they, they are vulnerable and they're, you know, they could fail at something. And just staying inside that comfort zone, I think it's, it's very detrimental. I think your life shrinks or, in, or it expands in accordance to your courage. The more brave you are, the more your life expands, and the more afraid you are, it brings it down. But you don't have to make those giant jumps. I think that's my thing, is as long as you're moving forward, even in little steps, eight Agreed. steps later, you look back and you're like, wow, I, I kind of made it a long way, you know what I mean? Like, that's what's cool. Like, just giving yourself some slack, but just constantly one little step at a time to get out of where you are. One little, I mean, the pain can be so intense. I go through that, especially when somebody I love has died. It's just that uh, you just got to get yourself back out of it, just one little step at a time. And I, sometimes people that you love let you down so hard that it almost feels like you died. You know what I mean? Like they're almost dead to you. Like this person that I thought I knew is gone. Like this person that I thought I understood has, you know, you come to find out, not at all. And uh, just moving above that. And if you do that to somebody else, it's the same thing, just trying to be better than that every time. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, obviously in, in my life, at least, like I always used to look at always, you know, the future or whatever it might be. But now I just take it like one step at a time. I think that's my philosophy now, you know, and I'm much happier that way. And I'm glad that, you know, I think I think we all feel that same way. That step by step process, I think, is also doable, like um, I'm a big fan of that Alex Honnold kid that, that uh, he's a, a, a mountain climber. He basically climbs uh, in Yosemite Valley, Valley and he did the free solo thing where he climbed up the thing without ropes. And that's the real thing that I took from him is he didn't just get up and do that. Like he took little steps to get there, to get to that skill level. And you see that in anybody that masters a craft. They take, they're not just jumping to, you don't start MMA and then jump in and fight the best in the world, right? You're not gonna fight you know, whoever it is just like your second fight. Like it doesn't work that way. You have to take these incremental steps, right? You don't just jump onto the big walls of mountain climbing with no rope and be like, ah, easy, right? Like and I think people try to do that emotionally where they just try to fix themselves. Like I'm here and then I'm gonna jump on, like most of us, we need little steps to get there, right? Little, and that's, you, you measure the progress by inches. You look back and you're like, I'm just a little bit better. I think that's so powerful and I think movies are detrimental to that because in movies there's like six montage scenes and then all of a sudden you're there, right? You know what I mean? There's not years of suffering and pushing and um, I haven't really seen that celebrated. Maybe I'm just not thinking of a movie that does it, but no, no movies conveyed that feeling for me of that incremental progress. And I guess because of the medium is very short, it's only two hours, but it'd be nice to see an artist that was a genius do that too. Yeah, that's important to like look back and see your achievements and how far you've come 
even though it doesn't feel like that, but like what you were saying, everything like, for example, I suffered anxiety, and now when I get anxiety attacks, they last two days. They used to last six months before. Ah, so that's awesome. it's like, wow. And right. I was talking about this the other day with a friend. I was just like, it does get easier, I promise. You don't see it now, but it does get easier. Like you find the tools and you get the help, and all of a sudden one day you wake up and it's gone. Like the pain is gone. Isn't that great though, right? Isn't, isn't it great we live in a time and a place where we can do that now? Yeah. It's just, um, yeah, it's, I think it's a really special, wonderful thing. And again, having something that you, that you are passionate and you care about, like the martial arts certainly helps, but it's not required. You can just do that as it is, as you are as a person. But it's the decision to fight, I think, that, that is the, the big thing, the decision to do something about it, to not accept this is going to be my life forever. I will do something. Once you do that and you start doing an inch at a time, you're done. Nobody can hold you back. Nothing can keep you down. Like, you're always going to be six inches farther than you were before. They just can't do it. Like, they can try, and they will. And they, they, that doesn't mean people are going to stop betraying you. That doesn't mean people are going to start hurting you. Um, but that means that you will stop betraying them. And it will mean that you are going to get better every six inches. And you'll attract less shitty people. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of nice, too. Yes. That's kind of nice, yes. too. Yeah. No, that's doing that and putting a positive outlook on your life, I think, is, in my opinion, very important. And what do I know about anything? But that seems it has worked so far for me. And that, again, doesn't mean that I haven't been betrayed or lied to or yeah. the people that I've loved haven't basically lied and 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 hurt you in ways that hurt, but that doesn't matter as long as you decide to fight. I'm not gonna accept that. I'm gonna keep moving forward and be a better person. And by being a better person, like you said, hopefully a better people will wanna be around me, be it friends, be it lovers, be it whatever, better people will want because I'm trying to get to that level. And if you never get there, fine, but at least you're trying. And sometimes the universe has a way to shake things up so that you move. Yeah, that's a fact. That's a fact. And. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I don't have anything oh, important to say. I I'd rather hear you. Up. I get shaken up like real hard when I'm just like getting real comfortable. All of a sudden, the ground right under me. I'm like, shit, but it's like, what? Why? Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> yep. And I think that's important, right? Like even when, even when you're comfortable, you'll be okay. And that's one lesson that I had to learn. So as a kid, what would happen with me is I wouldn't go, I would go out without being in, in problem situations for a little while. I'd get comfortable and then you get jumped or whatever, right? Yeah. And then you're like, oh man, now I got to get back into that. I think that's what life is. But if you always are moving forward six inches, yeah. even when you get the ground shaken up from underneath you, you're still in that process. You're like, for me, it's much easier to deal with now because I'm always trying to be just, it's just a heck, just a hair is better, right? And I think that when we get complacent, Right, I don't know, that's how I feel. Yeah. When I get complacent, that's when you get surprised. Yep. And that's the, the, again, samurais are so, in so many ways, so smart, but they say that you should meditate on your inevitable death daily, right? And that's just being cognizant of, obviously in, in this way of the samurai was, you had to accept death because that was the thing that could pull you out, the fear of that would pull you out of the process. But for us, uh, for normal people, I think it's just about making sure you're appreciating where you're at, you're moving forward. And so when the ground does get cut out from you, you're like, okay, well, move another six inches forward. It's the best. It's happening for the best. I'm taking a quantum leap. Because it would have taken me 10 years if the universe hadn't moved me. Look how tough you are. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I've been reading this book. Um, it's called The Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday. And, you know, obviously it's like daily meditations. And, uh, you know, I'm, 
I reached that part of the meditating on mortality, um, and it made a big difference in my life. Um, you know, just just realizing that you know we don't know what can happen tomorrow. We don't even know what's going to happen in the next hour, and just embracing and being present with it. I think that was a big, big um, change in my life. Um, so yeah, I agree with you there. What the samurai's philosophy has taught me is that it's a life of intention. And you see, the closer people are to death, when death announces itself on the field, whenever, whatever you're doing, when death announces itself on the field, every, things change, like everybody will get quiet, or uh, the reality of that, if somebody passes near you, the reality of that really begins to set in. You, you kind of get it. It's almost a hyper-focus. Um, that, that, that is a life of intention for me, where you are saying, I am present, I am going to be the best I can be. And so that has to be a habit, like because the fear of death can't hold you every minute of every day. That's a, that's a very hard way to live. Like That's why the samurai philosophy took such dedication to that. But intention can. If you wake up and you make intention a habit, I am going to be present today for everything that is going to happen to me, and I'm not just going to be like, but I'm going to, a life of intention to me is a very important life. And you should, I at least try to aspire for that. I'm not going to tell anybody how to live, but I try to aspire for that life of intention. I intend to be present and I do the things that I think are going to be important today. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, um, gratitude plays a big part in that, right? Because then you're no longer into the, the fear mindset and you, you go into the growth mindset. So it kind of like changes your perspective. And I think it's all about perspective. Meditation is also, uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, like um, an important part of, of martial arts. Uh, it is for mindfulness. And again, mindfulness is just another word for intention, right? Understanding where you are. Um, I use the Dogen Zen style, a uh, uh, focused object and open monitoring meditation. I use that to te actually teach police officers how to be mindful so that they don't get emotionally pulled out of the process and make terrible mistakes and out of anger or fear. Um, so I do that class once every couple months uh, for the Albuquerque Police Department. Um, but that the use of meditation to make you mindful um, and I mean, there's so many different styles of meditation. They're all very positive, I think. But that's the style that I use: is the focused object and the open monitoring. I pray. That's another that's great what form of it. Me. Sure, absolutely. I think that's also gratitude, right? In a way, like faith. I think that's also gratitude, right? It is. Like faith. For sure. I tried meditation, like during quarantine. I did it for 65 days in a row. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, sure. And I, yeah, 65 days straight, because I was like, like the fear of the world hit me. Like, mm -hmm. Everything, I was feeling everybody's anxiety, I was feeling the fear that everybody was feeling, so it was just like, I was like, let's try this. And I realized, at the end of the day, so it was like, I forgot to pray all these days. Mm -hmm. And then I started praying again, and I was like, this, is, this, this suits me better. You gotta find what works for yeah. you, that's for sure. For sure. It's, um... It's been, you know, an incredible insight into, into, you know, Greg, you as a human being and, you know, and absolutely. And I think that is the purpose of this, uh, of what we're doing, you know, um, there's so much out there that it's just for entertainment value, but you know, if we can make a difference in, in a person's life just by, you know, or the conversation that we had, I think it'll go a long way. So I just want to thank you, Greg, um, Grizia, obviously, you. you know, for, for everything and Fahad behind the scenes as well, um, it's been it's been incredible. And um, you know, any last words, uh, Greg? Before you know, we, we oh, sign no, off on this. Yeah, no, I'm like I wish I had something really cool to say. <laughs> I will say this, man. If you're hurting, uh, fight. If you are bored, get curious. 
Um, that's the only things that worked for me. So if you want to take anything of the ridiculous life that I have and learn from my, uh, some of my very small successes, that's what I would do. Wow. Grizia, would you like to sign off on something? Talk to someone if you need someone. Even better. Love that. Love that. Even better. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Cheers, guys. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Oh, of course. Oh, thank Thanks you very much. Um, having you as the first guest is an honor. Thank you. Ah, get out of here.